we live in a tension. As Jesus followers, we live in this tension. And Sarah, Sarah communicated this a few weeks ago. We live in the tension of, we want to be those that are fully filled, satisfied, but at the same time, desperate for more. It's this strange tension that only Jesus followers live in. I'm filled, yet I'm longing for more. So Jesus actually said in Matthew's gospel, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. They shall be filled. A blessed life, a happy life, a fulfilled life, one, one that feels satisfied is somehow someone, a person that positions themselves in a poised way that says, man, as for me, I'm hungering after him. That's where I'm going to live from. Hungering after God, like we've just heard, and his kingdom. That's a great place to live. But the question remains then, how do we do this? How? If, if you're anything like me, man, I'm empty a lot of the time and I'm not that hungry sometimes. So how do we sustain hunger in our lives? Because we know, right? Things change. We, life has the habit of interrupting us, or maybe it's just me. Somehow I wake up in the morning going, oh, Jesus, I want to meet with you. As soon as the kettle's boiled, I'm like, what was I doing again? Life has an incredible way of interrupting. Seasons shift. Things change that can take our focus very quickly off Jesus. Good things. Phil talked about idolatry a few weeks ago. It can be good things, but it just takes our focus off. So the question is how? How do we sustain this spiritual hunger? What we're going to look at, folks, is discipline. You're welcome. You're welcome. A few weeks ago, Mark, you did a fantastic job, spoke about how we live with deliberate lives, how we live intentionally, how somehow we fan into flame this spark that's already ignited within us. How do we live fanned into flame? So today is the same. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27. I'm reading from the ESV version. Um, verse 24, this is the Apostle Paul. He writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete, as you look at me, remember these words, every athlete, every amazing athlete exercises self-control in all things. Thank you, Andrew. They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we in imperishable. So I don't run. The Apostle Paul's saying, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box the air like one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. Now, I want to be careful here because the context seems to be Paul talking about his overall call as one that's to reach the Gentiles. To the Greeks, I've become a Greek. To the Jew, I've become a Jew. What he's saying is, his number one call is the proclamation and the preaching of the gospel. That as many, He wants to see as many people encounter the love of Jesus. Like Phil said earlier, we want as many people to encounter the love of Jesus. So Paul's saying, so that's my focus. So what do I need to do? I need to train myself. I need to discipline my body in such a way that I stay strong to this race that I'm on. That's my focus, that's my intention, that's my purpose. So that's what he's saying. But what I want us to pull out is the principle of discipline. The discipline 
of training, if you like. This, you know, this word discipline, just saying the word discipline, we, we know it has all, conjures all sorts of connotations, doesn't it? Go and sit on the naughty step. That one way to look at discipline. Who invented that naughty step? Conjures up all sorts of things, doesn't it? It, it kind of, it, it, even when I said discipline, I could feel this, oh, see how you handle this, big guy. I could see, I could see you judging me and seeing how all this is going to play out. But even still, it fills us with anxiety because you think, oh, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like that. I want to kind of go with the flow. But you know what? Discipline is a very good thing. It's not, we're not looking at the discipline of punishment like you've made a mistake, so we're going to correct that. This is all about training. Somehow, God in his infinite wisdom has said, I'm going to weave discipline in the hearts of humanity so they can grow and mature. That, that's, that's his infinite wisdom for me. Part of me kicks against it, but actually for me to grow and mature, we need discipline. So that's the discipline we're looking at. How the New Testament portrays it. Training. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you signed up to the spiritual gym of discipline. We're disciples. That's what the Bible calls us, disciples. Those learning, those training after Jesus, those studying him, those looking at his life going, man, I want to look like him. So I'm going to enter that gym of discipline, so I do. We're called to follow him. That's what a disciple is. I was chatting to Ralph. Didn't Ralph look great on that video? Always does. I was chatting to Ralph in the week and we were just bashing these ideas around. I love processing these things with people. And I said, you know, what does discipline look like for you? And he just said, discipline is the intentional activity of a disciple. I love that. I think he nicked it from someone else, but (laughs) discipline is the intentional activity, you know, you shake your head at me, of a disciple. You see, discipline and disciple, they have to go hand in hand. They just do. You know, even as I'm saying this to you this morning, this is something, you know, you put yourself in what you want to deliver. Man, I feel, God, this is a journey God has me on. So this is what we're looking at first, discipline. To be a true disciple, a follower of Jesus, it's one that you need to have some measure of discipline activated in your life. You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't say, hey, come, randomly follow me. See how you feel when you wake up. That's not anywhere in my Bible. This is what he does say in the Bible that I read. If anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow. I I try to rub out that daily bit. What about Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday? I call that my quiet time. No. He says, if you want to follow me, you pick up your cross daily and then you follow me. So I want, to, I want to set it all up on the context of that's what discipline looks like. Paul here in 1 Corinthians 9, he's showing us that he lives deliberately. He lives intentionally. That's what we see. He lives with purpose. So folks, I just want to dive back into that text very briefly before we move on to flesh this out a little bit more. He says we're in a race. The Christian journey has been likened to a race. I, I'm... Um, I, I'm trying not to have eye contact with Phil and, and Em and Sarah and people that know me well because I'm a horrible starter and stopper very quickly of stuff. We're, we're in a race and it's not just a 100 metre sprint, it's a marathon. Some races are longer and shorter than others. 
Some go home to be with Jesus shorter than others in, in, in different periods of time. But, but actually, we're, we're preparing for a marathon. So the moment you signed up to say yes to Jesus, as I've said, you said, okay, I've got my triathlon gear on and I've signed up for a marathon. And it's a long run. And sometimes it's a hard run. We face hardships. He says also in verse 25, I think, every athlete exercise self-control. We've looked at that. Now, I don't know much about physical fitness. No, that surprises you. But much is an exaggeration. I don't know anything about physical fitness. But what I do know, actually, I've been impressed by Phil, just watching Phil over the last few months by dedicating, you know, doing something where you commit habitually, continually to something and you reap the rewards, right? So he's saying an athlete exercises self-control. Every athlete does this. Then he says there's a prize to be won. The whole point is a prize. Now, we live in this culture that tells us it's the taking part that counts. No. No, no, no. I know that's good. It's the winning that counts. It's always the winning. It's always the winning. We are so competitive. Just... I was watching my friends playing Twister yesterday with the boys. Like, you want to win. Everyone wants to win. You only, it's the season of um, children's sports days, right? Every parent on the outside, oh, I, hope all the, I hope all the kids do well. <laughs> all of them. No, you don't. You, you secretly pray, even if you have to trip them, you get to the front of the queue. Many of you don't because you're so holy. But realistically, what I'm trying, I'm teasing, built into us, there's this godly, godly characteristic of, no, there's something I need to obtain. There's a finish line ahead of, ahead of me and I want to hit that finish line well. It's not an egg and spoon race. I want to hit that finish line well because there's a prize. And it's not just a, well done, here's a medal. It's an imperishable crown. We receive our salvation in full. We receive everything, all of our inheritance in full. You know, Paul says to Timothy, run in such a way. Keep running until the end. He says to Timothy, I have run my race. I've kept the faith. So he wants us to know that there's a prize at the end. So discipline leads to a prize. And it's to be intentional. We don't run aimlessly. I know people that run aimlessly. Well, they look like they do anyway. You don't see anyone on a track and field. You don't see anyone kind of moonwalking or going sideways or running the other way. You've never seen that, right? Never. On the Olympics, have you seen anyone running the wrong way? Or going, I don't think anyone's watching. I'm just going to cut this corner. Or chatting to people as they're going. That's probably me. Just have a natter with folk as I'm going. No, you run in such a way where you say, I see the price. I realise I'm training to get that prize. I'm just going to keep running. I'm not going to be like a boxer that gets in the ring, looks all pumped up, and then begins to windmill punch. That's just not what you see. So this big idea for today, folks, I've taken long enough to set it up. This discipline looks like that. That's what training looks like. And this discipline somehow pushes us into hunger that creates more hunger that leads to us being satisfied and delighting in God. And this delight means that we get the very most of our relationship out of, out of God, if, if that makes sense. Now, here we go. I want to go on, pause that thought for a moment. 
no, don't, because that would be silly, because this is connected to the whole, the whole message, really. I wanted to set up discipline in such a way like that that you understand hunger now. You see, hunger just doesn't come from nowhere. It starts from an encounter. It starts from an encounter, be that negative or positive. It, we need to first have encountered something that so overwhelms us that we want more at any cost. And we'll do more at any cost. I'm going to share a negative with you very quickly, but I don't want to major on this. A decade and a half ago, I was addicted to some pretty strong drugs, amphetamines. And I, the moment I encountered cocaine, I was hungry for more at any cost. And I looked up what hunger means, the dictionary definition, and it means craving, it means desire, it means longing, yearning, aching. There was something within me that was birthed in that very first moment that longed for more at any cost. But the trouble with this horrible beast, it never satisfied. So even when I went back there, it left me longing for more. And it didn't satisfy. It couldn't satisfy. It was empty. So these longings of aching within, it was like every time I did it, it robbed from me. I just wanted more. Psalm 34, 8 says, I'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that God is good. I don't know about you, friends, but the moment, the very first moment I encountered Jesus, something was birthed in me that created an insatiable appetite for more. And I wanted more at any cost. And I wanted to go back to him to get more of this fulfillment. I wanted to go back to him to get more of this satisfaction because unlike cocaine, every time I went back, he satisfied. This, this longing, this craving, this ache was satisfied. But it created more hunger. So I kept going back there. Jesus, friends, is the fullness of everything we need. He's enough. He's everything. He's pure love. He's perfect love. He's, he's such a kind friend. He's healer. He's deliverer. He's everything you need. He's peace. He's joy. He's healing. Deliverance. He fulfills inside and out. So the moment I encountered him, something changed. You know, this discipline leads to a habit being formed. And this habit in our life that's formed creates a culture. Do you know what culture means? It's not just a catchy slogan on a church website. It means things become a way of life. That's what culture means. That somehow we do things to such a degree, we keep going back somewhere, we keep going back somewhere, which creates a habit, and that habit means to, this is just how I live. This is just how stuff is sustained in my life. Because this is what I'm used to. Sarah shared a few weeks ago that we don't want this series like any series we don't want it just to be a passing thing it's not like this is just to fill our time for the next eight weeks our heart on Banning's encouragement was somehow doing this series means that we create somewhat of an insatiable appetite within us as a church community that each of us go man I want more of Jesus at any cost I want more of what he can he has to offer for me so hunger is somewhere we live from. Psalm 42, the writer says, as a deer pants for 
flowing streams. You know, it's not just a fridge magnet. You get these fridge magnets with this text on there with this lovely plump deer next to a stream. That's not how we're meant to read it. We're meant to see this shriveled up deer desperate to get his face or her face into the stream because that's where real life is found. You know, the writer, again, in Psalm 63 says, earnestly, God, I seek you. Earnestly, my soul longs for you. My flesh, he says, faints for you. What does that look like? You don't want to see my flesh fainting. It's horrible. So hunger is sustained. Sorry, hunger is birthed there and then it's sustained next through this discipline. And discipline that we're looking at today is the place of prayer. This is what I'm talking about. This is the spiritual gym. This is where we surrender all in this place of prayer. It's great to do it together. But what I want to talk about is what Jesus talks about. He calls it the secret place. In Matthew 6, 6, he's talking to his disciples, saying to them how you pray. And he says, and when you pray, go into secret, basically. He says, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And when your father sees what you do in secret, he'll reward you. You know, the secret place is, is that place where it's just you and him. You know that place? Everything is stripped away and it's just you and him. Just you and him. Heart to heart, you and him. And this is what I want to say this morning, friends, that the secret place is the most important space and place you have in your life. Before any relationship, before any job, before any friend, before any desire, other than him, it's that secret place. People call it the war room, the closet. It's that place where you meet just you and him. You know, hunger, everything we're talking about, everything I'm saying, it has to push us into his presence. You know, there simply needs to be an outlet to it. Like I've said, if we just remain hungry without it driving us into his presence, we remain unfulfilled. You can long for a glass of water, as I am right now. I'm, I'm feeling the effects of... I'm a bit nervous and I want some, something to hydrate this kind of thirst within. So what do I need to do? I need to open that bottle and have a swig of that water. I know it's not rocket science, folks, but you know when you thirst in the natural and you, know, you think, man, I, I want a drink of water. If you don't get up and go to the tap, guess what? You remain thirsty. So you must go. Somehow this thirst pushes you to the source and it's the same with God. So often we sit there unfulfilled, unsatisfied, confused, anxious. Why? Because we don't get ourselves up and go and meet with him. We, we, we somehow feel that it just happens in a vacuum. We need to somehow thirst to such a degree that nothing else satisfies. I surrender everything. As I was singing that song, I was thinking, do I really mean this? I surrender everything, and I know you were too. But in that secret place, we, we begin to surrender everything. We begin to say, God, have that as well. Have this lust, have this yearning, have this pain, have this unforgiveness, have this sickness, have everything. 
because we meet with him in the secret place. Do you know, it is all too easy, and I know I'm speaking to several of you here this morning, it's all too easy for us to remain spiritually dry. All too easy. We live on that carousel. Glory cloud, desert. Glory desert, everything in between. It's all too easy. We need to get ourselves up and meet with him in private. You know, God is our daily bread. Jesus says that man doesn't live on food alone, but on every word that comes from God. God is our daily food. God is our daily revelation. God wants to reveal his heart to you daily. Every day he's got something to say to you. Every day he wants to catch your heart. Every day he wants to hear from you. Every day he wants you to hear from him. Every day. And all too often we live on yesterday's bread, don't we? Come on, maybe it's just me then. Every time I come to him, I receive something new. Every time I come out of that space, sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm on a glory cloud with lightning bolts, but every time I come away, I think, man, it's done my soul good. Somehow it's done my soul good. The Bible says that we're to abide in Jesus or stay or remain or continue with, to abide, to stick to Jesus. 1 Thessalonians, I think, says, pray without ceasing. Pray continually, pray without stopping, never stop praying. And in Psalm 105, I think it is, the writer says, um, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. One translation says, seek his presence continually. Seek his presence continually. Every time we come before him, when it's just you and him, it's like, Father, I want to meet with you. I'm longing to meet with you. The place where we develop and cultivate hunger and see it sustained is that secret place, friends. There's no magic formula. It's meeting with him. Let me read you an illustration. I found this a few years ago. It says, in one region of Africa, the first converts to Christianity were so diligent about praying. In fact, the believers each had their own very individual secret place outside the village where they went to meet with God in private or in solitude. The villagers reached these prayer rooms by using their own private footpaths through the bush. And when grass began to grow over one of these trails, it was evident that the person to whom it belonged was not praying that much. And because these new Christians were so concerned for each other's spiritual welfare, a unique custom sprang up. Whenever anyone noticed an overgrown prayer path, he or she would lovingly go to the person and warn, friend, there's grass on your path. First moment I read that, I was like, there's, there's grass on my path. So I want to ask you, friend, is there grass on your path? Do you even have a path? Do you have a place where you meet with him? Just you and him. Do you know who you are in secret is the real you, by the way? Not who you are today, although that is the real you as well. But who you are in secret, that when you are just stripped naked, I'm talking about just emotionally where it's just you, that's who you really are. And that's the you that God wants to transform. That's the you that he's working inside out with. And I'm realising that that you is who he loves. 
Although you don't a lot of the time, he does. And that's the you he wants to meet with. I want to ask you, do you have people in your life that will say to you, friend, there's grass on your path? Or is there? We've got the privilege of having dear friends up with us this weekend. My friend Paul here has been one of those said people. I must say, annoyingly at times, he's got his face into my world, into my face, and are you reading the word? Are you meeting with him? These are my words, but that's what friends do. Over the years, you, you, you need people that you trust to such a degree that you invite into your life to say, are you meeting with him? It's not legalistic, friends. It's having a concern for one another's spiritual well-being. But equally, do you have people in your world that excite you, that get you going, that spur you on as iron sharpens iron, those people that excite you in the things of God and his kingdom? That also helps sustain hunger. Your own disciplined life, but equally others, that somehow you go, man, I want to get hungry with you. We're going to eat together. We're going to spur hunger in one another. Look out for them. You know, prayer... This secret place is about intimacy. It's about heart meeting with heart. Mind meeting with mind. Intimacy. Deep calling to deep, if you like. And it's all about us getting to know our dad. You know, if you want it in a nutshell, what prayer is, is talking to your father. That's what Jesus says. When you pray, come to him as our dad, our father. This has been such a deep revelation for me because I never really knew a loving dad. But to know that I have one and he's my dad and I get to meet with him every single day, it's beautiful. That's what prayer is. It's not the many words we say. Jesus warned us about that. He said it's heart connected with heart and it's saying, Dad, I'm here again. Do you know, sometimes all I do is sit there with a cup of tea. No, I don't. That's a lie. It's coffee. And I just sit there and I have no idea what to say at times. And I'm just like, I'm just with my dad. And as you sit with your dad, he starts telling you who you are. It's beautiful. I want to I be clear here. You know, what we want more than anything is spontaneity, don't we? Maybe that's just me as well. I want it to be natural, normal. Just, just go with the flow. That's not how relationships are cultivated. Take me and Emma for example. We haven't just gone, we live in the same house, but I'll see you if I see you. Let's hope we bump into each other. Now there's been a mutual pursuit of one another's hearts. That's what prayer is. This mutual pursuit. Know that as you're searching for God, he's always, always looking at you. There's this mutual pursuit of one another. And through that mutual pursuit, through that discipline, through that being diligent, spontaneity happens. So when you're driving in the car, sometimes you go, wow, look at those clouds, Dad. They're amazing. Look at the trees. Look at what you create. Somehow out of the overflow of the spill of the secret place, you realise you get to chat to him everywhere you go. I want, you know, people of the past, saints, men and women of the past, whether it's, um, I don't know, Spurgeon, Wesley, Whitfield, Luther, not Luther Vandross, Martin Luther, Wesley. 
Amy Carmichael, whether it's Catherine Coleman, the key to all of their lives was this, the secret place. Catherine Coleman wouldn't come out on the platform until she'd met with him. And then bang, this electricity would blow out. This power of God, the surge of God would flow because it was out of the overflow of her meeting with him. You know, says of Spurgeon and others, they prayed for hours every morning. It wasn't because it was their religious duty to tick off. They knew the heart of the secret place. And they were like, now this is where we get to meet with the king of the universe. You know, to help it stop getting religious, we need to look at it it with two lenses, if you like, the privilege and the access we have. The immense privilege. We have not just been singing songs here today, friends. This is the privilege. We have been communicating and connecting with the one who made the moon and the whale the wasp and the clouds and you, the one who made you, the one who made me. That's who we're meeting with. The one who who is everywhere, everywhere present all at the same time. The one who knows everything, knows exactly what you're thinking right now. So stop it. (laughs) The The one who knows your every longing in your soul. The privilege, the one who created every nation on the planet. That's the privilege. This is the access. We come in as his kids. It's not like we're in a queue, me and you, a van, we're somewhere like a million and three back. Now I just kick the door open like my daughter in the morning and just jump on the bed. That's the access we have. The privilege, he's the king of the whole globe. The access, and he's my dad. You need, to, you need to grasp this because it will stop it getting religious and, and, and kind of fake. It will create this longing where you're like, man, I'm going to meet with the one that made the whale. And I'm going to ask him, why the wasp? Why the wasp? Why the wasp? But I'm going to talk to him. And as I talk to him, I'm going to realise he's going to keep calling me his son, keep calling me his son, keep calling me his son. And he's going to reveal his heart to me. And we're going to finish with this. And this kind of access, this kind of secret place, this kind of privilege leads to our souls absolutely delighting. It just does. It just does. Psalm 107 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This is where our delight comes from. Matthew 6, 6, the second part, the Father says, and if you do this in secret, the Father who sees it in secret will reward you. This doesn't mean that Lamborghinis and Ferraris start falling from the sky. It doesn't mean that your bank account is full. That's not the reward he's talking about. The reward is him. That's the great reward. You know, through this discipline of pouring our lives into God, we get to enjoy the benefits And it's not rocket science, we know this. I'm hoping that somehow this message will will spark something in you again where you go, yeah, I get to meet with him. And and he does, he satisfies my soul. You know, this, this principle of sowing and reaping is what we live in. What you sow your life into, you will reap the benefits. What you behold, you become. What you worship, you look like. 
So that can either be God or everything else. I want to look more like Jesus. I want my wife to say, I see him in your eyes. I want my kids to say, dad doesn't tell us how to pray, he shows us. Sowing and reaping. Psalm, Psalm 1, this is what it looks like. Blessed is the man who meditates on the things of God, the law of God, the scripture of God, the instruction of God, the ways of God. Blessed is that man or woman. He or she, they're like a tree, like a big oak tree planted by a flowing river. And this river causes the tree to bear fruit, fruit in season and prosper. That's the principle. So what you pour your life in, you'll reap the benefits from. Ephesians 1, Paul, Paul's prayer to the Ephesians church is, I pray that he'd give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Or some translations say that you would know him more, you'd know him better. James 1, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. You see, the number one thing of all of this, the fruit is that we know him. Like in our inner being, I know God. That was the Apostle Paul. He trained to such a degree where at the end of his life, he could say, hand on heart, I knew God. And I know God. And I'm going to be with him forever. I found this in Deuteronomy and it just stuck out at me. You know, the people of God, the uh, Israel, they, the different tribes were being apportioned land and properties and, and um, things were just inheritance things were being kind of divvied out, if you like. But for the Levites, it says in chapter 18, they didn't inherit anything. They didn't get any inheritance in the rest of the people of Israel. Their inheritance was the Lord. And just this one verse, you know, the people that carried the ark, the people that modelled worship. It's like us saying to our worship team, hey Lou, sorry sister, you don't inherit any of what we've got, our stuff, but what you do get is God. That exactly but the Levites knew, that's all we need. What, what more do we want? And friends, I want to I live in this place where I, I perpetually want stuff because I think that satisfies me. Whereas I want to be like the Levites and the people of God of yesteryear that somehow go, even if all I have is God, he's enough for me. And it's scary, isn't it? But he's enough for me. And he's enough forever and ever and ever. He will never change. He'll never be robbed from us. He will never be removed from us. We'll be never removed from him. He's enough. I've got a few minutes. So let's, I tell you what, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to invite Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts. There's a few little things that I had here. I'm going to turn them into a prayer. I'm going to invite Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts because John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. So beautiful. There's this beautiful transaction that happens that actually what brings God glory is our delight in him. So as I sit there and even as I say, God, you're my dad, somehow I know Father God over me goes, yeah, you're getting it. You're beginning to get it more and more and more. When we glorify in him, it brings him great delight. 
And because he's a loving dad, because we get him, we get all of the stuff that comes with him as well. So we get that place of peace that Phil was talking about. So if you need peace right now, I speak that over you in Jesus' name. If you need peace, why don't you just say right now, just say, God, I'm, I'm coming to you right now because I need peace. He's known as our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble, our hiding place. So that secret place, that disciplined place of prayer can equally be your hiding place. The place where you go, oh God, I'm so frightened. I'm so anxious about what tomorrow brings. So if that's you, know that you're hiding in the shadow of the Almighty. He's your hiding place. He's your hiding place. Maybe he's calling you into that secret place even this morning to keep developing that. He's your rest. Alan and Steve came up to me this morning, bless your hearts, and they were saying on the bus on the way in, they saw this quote that I'm about to say. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I'll give you rest. He's the rest for your soul. If that's you, come to Jesus right now and say, God, I, I need that rest. So I just speak rest over you in Jesus' name. You know, he's your guidance. This is another thing that he offers you. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, it's good that I'm going because I'm going to send the one that will guide you, the spirit of truth. In that secret place daily, you can ask for wisdom from God. It says in James, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Every day you can say, God, guide me. I need you to guide me, illuminate the way. So if you need wisdom, I want to speak that over you right now in Jesus' name. God, would you release wisdom? If you need healing, deliverance, emotionally, physically, mentally, he's the binder of the brokenhearted and he heals all of our diseases. So God, I pray as we meet with you, you would heal us up from the inside out. Here's one more. I had several more, but this for me is the most precious. He continues to reveal to you your worth, that you're his loved child, this spirit of adoption. Margaret, I feel that for you right now, that God wants you to know that you're his beloved daughter, whom he loves so much. And all that you do pleases him. But if you need that this morning, when you meet with him in a secret place, sit and just say, Dad, what do you think about me? He loves you. So I pray with that spirit of adoption, bubble up and overflow within us. If you need to know that you're the loved son or daughter of God, God, I just ask by your Holy Spirit, would you cause Abba, Father, this intimate cry from the hearts of your people come out he will continue to reveal to you I pray who you are that he's your good dad and that you're loved by him so if you need to hear that this morning God knows God knows
God knows. Father, would you just release your love all over this place? Would your love compel us again? Would it cause a hunger again to drive us into that secret place of prayer where we meet with you every single day? Friends, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, meet with him. Meet with him. Meet with him. Don't let any grass grow in your path. Continue to carve out that time and space and place where you go, Dad, I'm here. I'm here. I want to catch your heart for humanity. I want to catch your heart. I want you to reveal your secrets, your, your mysteries. I want you to tell me what you think. I want your mind more. I want to catch your motives, your, your character, your ways. Oh God. So I, I pray that a, a real deep hunger would be birthed in us and not only birthed, would be sustained in us and through us. Friends, our lives are meant to be lived from the secret place, from the place of private to public, not public to private, from private to public. So who we are in secret, God, I pray, would you transform? Would you transform? We want to look more like you, Jesus. Literally, just for a moment while John's playing, why don't you just place your hand on your own heart? Just pray. Right now, I'll just talk to him. Out of anything I've said today, there must be something that's gone, yes, that's me. Connect with that. Let the longings of your heart pour out to him again. <laughs>